because Andy Haldane was saying, who was chief economist at the Bank of England until the end of last summer, was saying that he thought inflation would go higher than the the MPC at the time was saying. Yes. But the people, Andrew Bailey and others, who were at the Treasury Select Committee, were saying that they were really worried about a spike in inflation after the end of the furlough scheme. Um, but in fact, that didn't materialise. You know, I've been critical of this in the past because the FCA had all those temporary measures to allow people to defer payment. Mm. They'll have, there will be a group of people who have kind of deferred payments stacked up, so they're in a worse position than they were before. They were so they're, they're automatically weaker financially. And, and so you could see a sort of forbearance crisis yeah. where firms get into a sort of dilemma of, you know, do we just keep people, keep allowing people to rack up debts? Do we foreclose? Which might actually be better for the consumers because they're less in debt as a result. Yeah. Um, but if they do that, if we do that, are we opening ourselves up to regulatory action? The FCA expressing the view that they, they it's a pivotal role in supporting consumers, this is in relation to the cost of living crisis, particularly the, those in vulnerable circumstances. So I think that plays to your point that this is going to come through the lens of treatment of vulnerable customers, which will put the industry in, you know, in, a, in a very difficult position, given you make a reasonable case that most of your customer base in some cases is yes. Hi, and welcome to Grant Thornton's Risk and Regulation Unraveled podcast. My name is David Murray, and I'm joined by my colleague Gavin Stewart. Say hello, Gavin. Hi, me again. Um, And we are going to take our usual monthly romp through the emerging world of regulation, both the news, events, and predictions for the future. Um, I've been calling this the Inflation Edition. Same old podcast, but 10% more expensive. Actually, given, given shortages and the difficulties in getting a hold of technology these days, we're having to record this on Gavin's old 8-track player, so I apologise in advance if the quality isn't up to standard. Um, slight change, Gavin. We've been asked whether we can, in the introduction, um, set out the kind of key topics that we're going to be covering so people know what to expect. Do we know? Well, exactly. That shows a fundamental, <laughs> mis- inflation. fundamental misunderstanding about how this podcast works, because uh, if we knew what we were going to say in advance, um, it would be a different show, I think. However... I'm expecting us to cover cost of living, um, the PRA business plan, which is which was kind of fell off the end of the last podcast when we ran out of time, um, and the regulatory initiatives grid, which was literally out today, so we can give some hot off the press hot, hot off the press commentary on that, and a few other things. As regular listeners will know, we, we tend to do a sort of roundup of, uh, of various odds and sods that we um, that we think might be relevant to know. Uh, but we are going to start with um, cost of living. Um, Sue Gray's report was also out today, of course, uh, for those that are listening in a few days. But we're um, moving on. We are moving on. We are moving on. But it's, it's, it's now evident in hindsight that the reason they were having all those lockdown busting parties was because they wanted to get them in before the price of alcohol um, and, and nibbles went up significantly. Um, now, let's start with the governor of the Bank of England. He, made a, he, he took a break from printing half a trillion pounds um, to do an interview on in, inflation. And um, this is Andrew Bailey, obviously. Called it up an apocalyptic situation. I think was the was was the phrase. The different combination of factors: supply chain, um, the fact that unemployment hasn't spiked. So, so that, that some of the comp- compensating influences that might restrain inflation are, are, are present. Um, uh, but, but but generally, my takeaway was a sense that he didn't feel like he had a lot of levers, you know, available to him to to sort of do much about this, I think, was... Yeah, was to, to be sense. fair, I think the apocalyptic was the sort of broader global situation <clears throat> rather than the specific UK one. But you're right, 
about the um, you know what he said at TSC, and there was a bit of you know eighty percent of this is outside of our control. Mm. Um, the unemployment thing was interesting, and I think I think you'd have to go back and look properly at it because Andy Haldane was saying who was chief economist at the Bank of England until the end of last summer, was saying that he thought inflation would go higher than the the MPC at the time was saying. Yes. But the people, Andrew Bailey and others, who were at the Treasury Select Committee were saying that they were really worried about a spike in inflation after the end of the furlough scheme. Um, but in fact, that didn't materialise. Um, partly, I think, if you know, because the workforce seems to have shrunken mm. um, with lots of people on long-term sick but they don't we don't really um, know all the full causes of that but it seems to be a combination of well obviously some long COVID but also other chronic conditions yeah. um, but but I mean I, I don't know it was a, it was a long session I quite I learned I learned quite a lot listening to it but but actually you're still left kind of realizing that actually they don't know either no, no. I, I mean, we've obviously had uh, uh, you know, the beginning. What, what one assumes is the first of many interest rate rises. So yeah. I expect sort of quarter point going on regularly for the foreseeable future. Um, uh, other than that, I was, I was struck my brain trying to think about: are, are there any practical steps so far, at least, that, that the regulators, FCA, PRA, Bank of England, have taken um, to try and respond to the cost of living crisis? Um, and I think the answer is probably not much at this point. Although they're all they're talking about rec- it's recognizing it as an issue and something that, that they'll need to. Address. I think so. They neither of them. I know we'll come on to this. Neither of them really mentioned it, other than in passing in their business plans. Absolutely, yeah. Which yeah. I was. We were both a bit surprised yeah. by. Uh, the, I think you're right. I haven't seen. I don't recall seeing anything specific that they were doing different. I think the FCA who I think are probably concerned in the first instance are relying on their vulnerable customers' guidance. Um, I, I think I think there are a couple of things to watch out for if, as we expect, it gets worse, possibly much worse, before it gets better, you know, without going oh, into yeah. the kind of, you know, energy prices going up no, again yeah, yeah, by yeah, another yeah. 800 that's, that's, that's quite a year and so on. Yeah, yes. um, so, so I think, you know, we should probably assume, given the evidence that um, banks and insurance firms are financially resilient and mm. strong. Um, I think you have to have more doubts about some of the sectors that the FCA is responsible for in terms of prudential regulation. Um, so quite a lot are going into administration mm-hmm. at the moment, post-COVID. Uh, but actually, if you think about um, potential defaults, then the consumer credit sector springs to mind and there could be a whole yeah. swathe of firms who get into get into trouble because repayments aren't coming in. Yes. Yes. Uh, the, the, standard, the standard thing is that actually you need um, spikes in unemployment to cause serious defaults, but actually I don't think people were factoring in the sort of spikes mm-hmm. in energy and food prices that we're seeing now and are likely to get worse. So I think that's a, actually a real danger and you would assume they're doing quality preparation just in case. Yes, yes, and that unsecured lending piece, I think you're right, um, you know, where affordability may already be marginal is, is kind of probably non-existent at this point. So that seems that would seem like the most probable yeah. area of harm emerging regulatory challenge. I think, I think the other thing actually is that because, and you know I've been critical of this in the past, because the FCA had all those temporary measures to allow people to defer payment, mm. they'll have 
there will be a group of people who have kind of deferred payments stacked up, so they're in a worse position than they were before. They were so they're, they're automatically weaker financially. Yeah. And, and so you could see a sort of forbearance crisis yeah. where firms get into a sort of dilemma of, you know, do we just keep people, keep allowing people to rack up debts? Do we foreclose, which might actually be better for the consumers because they're less in debt as a result. Yeah. Um, but if they do that, if we do that, are we opening ourselves up to regulatory action? And, and then the flip side is, would it be better not to lend to vulnerable people at all and then you get a whole de-risking problem where fewer people have access to financial services so i think there's quite a there's quite a mess of stuff in there there is i know and we've talked before about in hindsight given how extensive the furlough scheme was the almost immediate use of those those deferral mechanisms by the fca arguably came you know before they were needed, they were going to be more necessary now than they were then. But you know, is there really the scope to to, to, to do the same thing over and over again? Um, yes. Yeah, so so we, we mentioned, I mentioned the regulatory initiative grid uh, came out today, and we'll, we'll talk a bit more about what's in it at the detail level. But in the forward, it does talk there about, and this is this is uh, the FCA expressing the view that they they well, I think the quote was pivotal role in supporting consumers. This is in relation to the cost of living crisis particularly the, those in vulnerable circumstances. So I think that plays to your point that this is going to come through the lens of treatment of vulnerable customers, which will put the industry in, you know, in, a, in a very difficult position, given yeah. you make a reasonable case that most of your customer base in some cases is vulnerable. Yes. And it's all about individual interpretation, <coughs> isn't it? And, and having, having really, really good guidelines for your staff to operate by, which, which you know, we know is, is difficult at the best of times. Yes, well, and, it, and, it's, it's, and even if you do, then it's, it then becomes the execution challenge of actually applying them regularly, consistently, yeah. on very varied customer base. It's, uh, it is one of the hardest things to get right, effectively. Um, one of the, I wouldn't say fringe, but sort of peripheral um, lines of, of criti- criticism I think I've seen coming out of this cost of living crisis has been um, the concern that the Bank of England and indeed regulators in general are no longer particularly politically independent. Uh, I think you know, the IMF has kind of flagged that, you know, going back to last year, haven't they? But um, mm. is is it is it is it reasonable to consider our central bank to be independent in any meaningful sense at this point? Um, that's a really interesting question. <laughs> um, so, so I think the short answer is yes, um, but but I think if you I don't know if if you if you forgot it was the United Kingdom for a moment, mm. and you just looked at mm. all the things that have happened. Um, there are a lot of ex-treasury people in senior positions at the bank. Um, a lot of the things that have happened and the coordination level of coordination between um, government and not so much central banks but regulators generally. Um, I think you probably have a few questions. Yeah. Um, about you know, what's really happening, how independent it was. So, I mean, you'll have seen Charles Randall made a speech last week, which was headlined about consumer yes. voice, but it had a couple of quite interesting links through to what the OECD says about um, the independence of regulators, as well as what the IMF said when they did their last um, yes. assessment. So I think that's quite unusual. Um, it is no, I, I was, that was my view as well. It's just Charles Randall, obviously, is the outgoing, soon to be departed 
chairman of the um, Financial Conduct Authority. But yeah, he, he did go out of his way to talk about the importance yeah. of independence in your regulators from a sort of international yeah. trust perspective. And, yeah. obviously I, you know, and I think it is important. Well. I think it is important to raise it. So I, I think it's. I don't think it's. It's under. It's under. You know, immediate pressure mm. at the moment. But I do think it's important to talk about these things and keep sort of kicking the tires on it because I think it, it is a really important principle. Okay, so uh, well, let's park cost of living crisis there uh, 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 with a view really that we'll be revisiting it because whilst the regulators have not leapt into actions, particularly at this point, um, the working assumption has to be that they, they will as, uh, as this progresses. Um, the PRA business plan, which uh, actually was available a month ago and we, we yeah. ran out of time <laughs> talking about the FCA plan. So we didn't cover the PRA plan. We said we'd do it this month. I suppose it, um, one of the reasons talking about the FCA plan took so long was because it uh, was, was covering a lot of different things. I mean, we talked about it being a sort of 30 documents hyperlinked together type of structure yeah. as well. Compared to that, the PRA plan is quite simple. It's obviously a much more focused remit than the FCA, so it's an easier plan to write, clearly. It is. I, I mean, I, I'm allowed to say this. I, I still found the technology quite um, unhelpful in terms of having to scroll around a web page mm. in order to find what I was looking for um, and cross-reference things. Um, but you're right, it is simpler. They have fewer firms to regulate. They have a much simpler remit, fewer objectives, and so on. Um, I, I do think they also are, because the remit is simpler, or partly because of that, it's also clearer. So it's more yeah. straightforward to work out what they're trying to do. And there's more consistency one year to the next. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, and if it, if it, if it, and it did, I think it does take quite a long time to look at the FCA business plan and work out yeah. through the intermediaries documents, they reference exactly what they're planning to do. In a PRA plan, you can see that, and it is a set out the various initiatives they're undertaking. And I guess the you know the big ticket things are like the Basel three yep. uh, implementation, uh, a promising a you know big review. There's obviously two rules, which obviously they've trailed previously, but that, that regime for capital in the insurance industry, a lot around operational resilience as yep. well as yep. financial resilience. Yep. Um, and there's a clearer kind of look forward. Um, Couple of things I found quite interesting. One was they they they've set up some proper working groups on um, the the sort of second order implications of Russian sanctions. So uh, yeah, so pro probably actually the PRA business plan is not something we're going to end up spending a great deal of time on. And um, uh, it, it is it is a relatively yeah. straightforward read, yeah. and you can see by sector very yeah. clearly what will be yeah. taking place. Um, worth noting an eight point two percent fee increase. So yes. I, I think in a in the context where um, the civil service is due to go down by twenty percent in the next three years, which Allegedly. I don't actually <laughs> believe will happen, funnily <laughs> enough. Um, but it's interesting to see that actually yeah. both regulators are raising their you know raising their their fees by a, not quite inflation, but pretty close. Yes, well, probably when they were setting it, yes. it was above inflation, but obviously it's not. <laughs> it's not anymore. Yeah, the FCA increase was seven something yes depending on how they measured it yeah um regulatory initiatives grid okay to say that properly rig the rig yes uh well i think we've now had several iterations the sixth monthly update occurred today um gavin i know you spent a bit of time going through it um i was busy on the elizabeth line which i'm just was was christening uh it's uh i'll tell you what so 
That thing is so, that line is so deep under London. I felt you need like an Australian visa or something to go on it. It's, it's a long way down. Uh, but anyway, I've, I've climbed back into the sunshine and, and, and I can ask Gavin, what's in the rig? Well, um, so, so the first thing is I had to, I had to count things up. Um, so there are, I think, and these are, these are my fingers, so um, we haven't caveats these. We are, have not audited uh, yes. these numbers. Yes. So we have not audited. I think there are 130 um, initiatives in there compared to 134 uh, last time and 128 the time before. Um, I think about 30 of those have had timings updated or delayed and another 31 are new. Mm. Um, so for the first time, I think they've, they've properly acknowledged the role of known unknowns uh, in terms of you know, having an effect on how these things pan out. Um, and they've named um, Russian sanctions and cost of living. Yeah. And looking at it, it, it looks as though the cost of living is responsible for the crisis, is responsible for some of the delays, yeah. and that the um, the Russian sanc sanctions have spawned a number of new initiatives around financial crime and yeah. counterterrorism and that sort of world um, that might not have been in there otherwise. Um, but but there'll also be the other usual other reasons why these things end up you know, yeah. not happening quite when you hope they will. So it sounds like 25% turnover in terms of level of new initiatives in in the rig. 25% every six months seems to be seems to be the going rate based on the uh, yes. The last and, and I think if you were if you were aiming to keep the the number of initiatives on it broadly the same, then that's that's probably about right. But I think it feels like 130 is a big number, and I'm pretty sure at the outset when they first published it, they were talking in terms of, you know, this is high, we expect it to get lower because we're thinking about COVID. Yes. Um, so, you know, there is an element of um, what, you know, what what great idea can, can we come up with? Um, and there's a lot that needs doing, don't get me mm. wrong, but, but I think there's something about, you know, how you really prioritize these. Um, yeah, yeah, there is, there is, uh, I mean, the, the, the forward does address I mean, I guess it's softening us up to some degree, but it, but it, it kind of addresses the fact it's it's um, there are changing priorities and there have been changes and and essentially there will be changes changes moving forward. So yeah, you know, there's, there's some, some wording there around the cost of living challenges and the extent to which that may change what's in the in the rig in the near future. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, at some at some at some point, maybe we should do a we do we should do a um a, a post a retrospective just to see what was the, what did the rig originally say and what actually happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, nevertheless, I mean, yeah, frankly though, for all of us, you know, working in in this sector, it's it's a great thing to have because it, it, it limited though it always will be probably in terms of changes. Um, and the unknown changes influencing it. It's great to have it in one place and to, yes. to be able to sort of see it all. No, it's definitely been one of the big pluses of the last couple of years. Um, talking about big pluses, consumer duty. What does it say about the consumer duty timing? Since I know that's been heavily um, consulted on. So it, it really just just I mean the difference from last time is really it's added in the implementation date. Interestingly, um, where they've talked about the rules coming this July and implementation being the end of April. Yes. Um, the, um, the rig, the grid talks about 
um, Q3 this year for the rules and Q2 next year for implementation. So actually they've given themselves a couple of months wriggle room for both of those. And I'd be surprised certainly with implementation if they don't end up taking it given cost of living crisis and all the things we've talked about before, yes. notably how much time it will take to properly um, train supervisors yes. um, to, to kind of in terms of what it means. Yes, okay, okay. Yeah, I did wonder whether that yeah, was it maybe a precursor to a to a to a, certainly on the implementation side to a, to a longer um, you know pushing out of the time frame. Yeah, I, 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 that, but, I wouldn't I wouldn't dismiss that out of hand, but I think I think I would I think what you'll see is the the rules will get published more or less on time. Although if they miss the July board meeting, mm. then the next one's sort of September. September. Um, uh, but then I think you'll probably see quite a lot of industry pressure. Um, to, to to kind of extend the implementation yeah. period, yeah. which I th to be honest, I think is reasonable. Yes, yeah, yeah. My, my personal view on that is that you, even if they stick to a, it goes live in well now Q three, uh, Q two rather um, uh, next year, um, there must be some kind of a soft landing kind of. I, I don't. Runway. I don't think there'll be a kind of a rush of supervisors to go yeah. in and do formal reviews <clears throat> on day one. Far from it. Um, very good. Okay, so any anything else you want to say on, on on the rig? Any new initiatives that? I mean, I think there's there is a bunch of stuff, but I mean, it, as you say, it only came out this morning, mm. so I've, I've I've done a very a very quick analysis for my blog right. today, but I'll have another crack at it next week when I've you know been in a darkened okay. room with a cold towel on my head for a bit. <clears throat> um, that's. Uh... Uh, you're making you're giving more, giving more secrets. I, I think most people think we record this in a darkened room with a cold towel on our head. So, so no, that's uh, how people listen. To <laughs> that's uh, probably necessary. Uh, okay, odds and sods. What else is going on in the world? Uh, oh, we had some interesting speeches actually. Uh, both um, um, Sam Woods, CEO of the PRA, and Nicolati, CEO of the FCA, gave, gave speeches on different different topics. Actually, quite very contrasting speeches from a style perspective as well. Yes. Um, so Sam was, was well for one thing he was talking about using concept cars as an analogy for for uh, for, for financial regulation and uh, uh, and using phrases like the bufferati in terms I did of financial buffers. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> but but I get, but it was a it was a it was a I guess a big ideas type type of speech because he he's talking about like can we simplify these capital rules so that you know we we get away from hard thresholds that banks and insurers are doing everything they can to manage, you know, manage to, to stay within the threshold and have a more sort of a um, ladder of responses and more flexibility and the like. It did make it all sound quite subjective, like you put it all in a bucket and then you just make whatever decision you want. That's kind of re single releasable buffer that he talked about. Yeah. Um, it felt to me a bit more like, a, like it was... Um, it was written for a domestic audience rather than an international one of supervisors. I think that's probably right. Yes, um, so, yeah. I can't imagine there'll be many takers in Basel. No, I mean it's, it's a lot. It's a lot easier to talk about simplifying a very technical subject than it is to actually yeah. simplify it. But it, but he was he was painting a potentially attractive, I guess, attractive in in terms of um, you know more more flexible future. Um, uh, how realistic it is, though, yeah. Uh, it would remain to be seen, but but let's just contrast. So it is. It's, an, it's a good speech. I would I would I would recommend uh, recommend reading it, and then you can you know, wow people at dinner parties by talking about Buffarati. Uh, dinner parties obviously 
within the time within the frame of any guidance that might be relevant to the hosting of events. Um, Nikhil's speech at the same week was. Uh, well, a, a lot more granular. I mean, again, this goes back to the remit. The the, the breadth of the remit is is, is quite something. But um, it was a speech on I think it was in critical in, critical issues in financial regulation. Um, uh, quite a few interesting snippets. I thought I thought that when he, he had announced, so showed something about the FCA's thinking to my mind. So, for instance, uh, in relation to consumer duty, that was positioned as being a, yes, it's changing principles in in some very high level rules. But as a result we would expect that we wouldn't need as a regulator to make so many sort of granular rule changes in the future in relation to yeah, conduct issues. I, I, I think that's I think that's absolutely fine. I, I but I've I've heard that particular thing at least half a dozen times before <laughs> over the last couple of decades. I, I think it's, you know, whether it's a principles rules yeah. thing from the mid two thousands or, or what, there's always there's always the quest to um, you know, to have have fewer rules, more principles, yes. um, which, to be honest, people at the board love and chief executives love. Compliance officers, not so much. Yes. yes. Uh, so you get this kind of oscillating. This is what we say. This is what we do. Yeah. I don't. I, I, it's not a criticism. It's just, no. It's just that I. You know, just no, and, and you know, the, 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 and, and when some issue or the blows up, you know, the the the, the momentum to make granular rules in relation so to fine ambition. It's, it is a great no ambition. problem with that. I did, I did like that. Um, he did mention the well. It's just an interesting turn of phrase, given given you know the cost of living uh, issues we've been talking about. But uh, that he, he talked about the, the government having mandated the FCA to try and facilitate the industry towards net zero. Um, but he also said they went on to say, to, but also taking in account government policy on energy security, which is which is you know given most of our energy comes from. <laughs> <laughs> things that aren't net zero, um, at least at this point in time, it was, was just was just an interesting piece of balance. Now again, you know, what does that mean in terms of actual actual regulatory guidance to the industry? But but it, it was a it was a bit more of a balanced expression of that particular commitment, the net zero commitment, than I've heard to this point. Yeah, and I think I think there will be there will be a lot of debate around the role of regulation in getting to net zero and how that's implemented and you know without going into kind of specific institutions there's obviously quite a lot in the press at the moment about mm. you know where climate change should figure in investment portfolios and so on yeah um so i think we'll see a lot more of that over the coming months yeah yeah i think i think that's right I yeah um and, there, and again there'll be that rhetoric reality yeah. question of of you know Everyone says this. What actually happens on the ground when you get into nitty gritty decisions? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I suppose the last thing I'd say about that speech is the biggest single section of the speech is crypto. Yeah. So in terms of um, you know, the challenges posed by crypto, uh, which again goes. It's increasingly one of those elephants yeah. in the room, isn't it? Yeah, ab absolutely, absolutely. So based based on the based on the the, the verbiage that's being produced on the subject, is you've got to assume it's close yeah. to the top of the. Yeah. For both I, I do think. I mean, I do think the you know the EBA produced something on it this week, um, which is you know which is much. I get the sense it's more formal thinking and policy making yeah. going on um, there and in the US, US. with we um, talked about Joe US Biden's time, executive yeah. executive order than there is here. I'm sure people are thinking about it, but I'm not beyond financial promotions. I'm not aware of anything major that's happening no. in the space. So. It feels like That's we're right. a bit behind, and so we may, 
ironically, we may have bit, may end up being a rule we'll taker. Take yeah, yeah. Um, on a lot of this. Yeah, I, I, yes, that I think you are spot on. I think that's very likely. Um, and the final speech I was going to mention, yes, we referenced it earlier, talking about the yeah. political independence of regulators. But you said, as you say, Ch- Charles Randolph's speech was mainly around the role of the voice of the consumer in in the regulatory processes. Um, there's a lot of history there in terms yes. of attempts to get the voice of the consumer in the room. We, we could have a whole issue, a whole, whole edition on it, couldn't we? Podcast. Um, uh, well, so how, how would you summarise your take on that? It's it's a, it's a nice aspiration, but hard to do. Um, I, I think so. The the regulators have been through various cycles of how open they how actively open they are to talking to and listening to consumer organisations. I think, however, until they change the way policymaking works, you will always have a weight of um, input from the industry side and trade associations, are, you know, which is massively bigger than yes. what consumer organisations are able to do. And equally, I think the language of regulation and the way in which supervisors are forced to think and operate because they deal with firms the whole time again pulls them away from um you know talking to consumers and thinking the way consumers might think um and i don't think in this context that the future regulatory framework um and the way the the kind of uh, the um, objectives and principles are phrased particularly help no no Okay. I mean, there's a separate question about how much that should be the regulator's job, but given everyone says it is, yes, then I think there's a real question about how you make that real. Yeah, yeah. So we may be about to go around another, another cycle trying to make that work more effectively, or work at all. Um, other other things to touch on uh, before we close up. Well, this has been a relatively quiet little period in relation to new consultation papers, new policy statements, so yeah, unlike other podcasts, we haven't really spent much time on that. There's, an, I said, there's, there's this CP out to uh, allow um, usage funds, which have got Russian exposure, to stick those, you know, there's basically those frozen assets into side yeah. pockets, so that's a, that's a new development, and actually, you know, if it's, if it's ultimately used more widely than, than, than in relation to Russia, is, is There was is a, a discussion paper this week on money market funds, yeah. post-dash for cash, Yeah. You know, when there was lots of volatility in the markets and, and what that might mean for future regulation. And I think that's probably worth following. Yeah. I mean, we've had debates in the past about whether the sort of related subject, whether the big asset managers um, are systemic or not. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's things like that. Yeah. Um, that I think are worth. Um, yeah, yeah. I think. And the, I think yeah. some of the some of the big um, uh, payment services um, providers of some consul- Yes, so there's uh, the, the rig talks about a, uh, a DP on whether systemic air quotes for any listeners air, yeah. systemic payment services providers should be poured into the Bank of England yeah. and again, regulatory that's framework. Bank, not, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 not, yeah, 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 not FCA. Yeah, so uh, and I guess you, know, you mentioned the whole kind of operational resilience um, dimension that, that continues. I mean, so, so one of the one of the things in the rig, one of the new developments is. Is we should expect a CP that will require reporting of operational incidents to the regulators, uh, whether it's your your operational incident or one of your service providers' operational incidents. So, so the, the need looking up, but but fundamentally, I think that's a really good idea. Well, certainly going to watch this space. We haven't yeah. got the CP yet, but there's obviously meant, intended to be much more transparency there. Yeah. Um, 
so there's a few things we will undoubtedly be talking about when they do when they do see the light of day. Um, FCA strike. I know they had a couple of days of strike action. I saw a video of the of the picket line. Actually, I wasn't sure there's a picket line or the or the queue for Itsu next door to to the office. But but anyway, anyway, so they, they did have a picket for, for a couple of days, um, and I think they've got another day of industrial action yeah. coming up. Um, yes, I, I'm. I don't think there's any other news to report on that. There's, there's not been any settlement. I believe the FCA has more or less dug its heels in in terms no, of its pain. I, I mean, I think the the we were discussing on the way on the way to do this. I, I think I think looking at detailed turnover statistics is the only way you're really going to understand what the impact of of the new employment offer will be. Um, and you know, by less you know, someone said to me, by you know, by grade and see who's really leaving. Less about the strike and more about the turnover. Yeah, because yeah. I think that will be the instinct of people, you know, that they, 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 they're not. No. The, the idea we're even talking about strike yeah. seems ridiculous to me having worked there for 27 yeah. years. Um, so, so that's not, I don't think that's the test. They don't fight with their feet now, I agree. That, that would be an interesting freedom of information request, I think, um, um, watch this space. Um, the final thing, um, actually, to finish on, I think, is I know you did a uh, you did a, a review of um, FCA press releases. Oh yes, criminology. Uh, yeah, to to see what what is, what is looking at the FCA press releases, and, and I don't know about you know listeners, but uh, Twitter is always always going off with uh, with uh, well actually you know invitations from ladies I've never met before, but um, uh, but but also the FCA announcing some. Thing or other. Yes. Um, so, so what, what does what does what does analysing so, those? So, probably to? a bit of context first. So, way back in the sort of the the Cold War that was, um, there used to be a thing called Kremlinology where people would um, analyse carefully what um, Brezhnev or whoever said from the Kremlin and try and work out what they really meant and what they were saying by it. So, in the early mid two thousands, uh, we we ran an exercise for two or three years to do that on the basis of FCA speeches and press releases um, to see whether what we were saying publicly matched up with what our priorities were. And, and actually, to a large extent, they didn't. Um, <laughs> so what, what was actually happening was the speech was being used as a tool of regulation in the absence or substitute for lots of action internally on that subject or it was being used to magnify right um actions that we were taking so that they would hopefully have bigger impact than they would do otherwise yep. yes. and so it was interesting to see that actually i think six of when i did it six of the previous 20 over about a month i think this was six of the previous 20 of of, of the last 20 press releases were all about firms going into administration or something similar um and the next thing I think four was some was a, was consumer warnings. Yeah. So in the first case, I think it's 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 actually well in both cases I think it's a case of trying to amplify the impact. Yeah. Um. So you know six out of fifty plus thousand is not a lot, um. But it does give a sense that actually this is not a priority, um. Post Gloucester review yeah, and so that's, on. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Yes, yeah. And consumer warnings. There's clearly a lot to warn consumers about, but actually. I'm not sure how many consumers actually read the FCA website. 
um, or look at their news releases and so on. There was one about scams, which got, I guess, at least one that got picked up by the news. But I think as far as I'm aware, that's the only one. So I, I think there is a, a bit of a question about, um, you know, a lot of it's down to the tools at the FCA's disposal and how best they use them. And it's always going to be quite varied. But, but, but there is not an exact match by any means between um, this is where we're spending all our time. Uh, so it's 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 worth trying to understand exactly what the motivation yeah. is for putting things out. Yeah. Same with any organisation, actually, not not just a regulatory thing, but sometimes people sort of absolve regulators from having thought about this stuff up front when actually they, they think about it just as much as, yes, as anyone yes, else does. Yes, yeah. as a as a definite decision on what, as you say, what to amplify. Yeah, and that could be because they want to amplify it because it's really important, or it could be because they want to amplify it because. They haven't really done that much on it, and it <laughs> might, might might look therefore more important. So um, it's a substitute rather than uh, a... yes, yes. Okay, so thank you. Well, um, I'm going to draw us to close partly because I need to pack my bags for the weekend. Um, I'm attending the Yorvik Viking Festival. Uh, I will report back on whether the price of ale and axe heads has uh, has, has gone up. Um, and um, I look forward to uh, yeah, I'm back. To a, to, on Friday to a wedding that was due to take place two years ago originally. Um, has has son of some very good friends. I I, I hope uh, presumably the, the 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 present you were going to buy is now four times as expensive. <laughs> um, thank you for everyone for for listening to us uh, ramble through our subject matter. We will be back in a month's time. Um, if anyone would like to see our write ups on the regulators' business plans, PRA and FCA, you will find them on the website, on Grant Thornton's UK website. Um, and uh, we will continue to be, along with our other podcasts that are produced in this series, available on all the major platforms. So uh, hopefully you'll join us there again in the future. Thank you. <laughs>